Pulp Fiction covers themes that may not be suitable for all listeners. Episodes may feature true events tied into fictional stories. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Story 1 of Pulp Fiction, a podcast by Public. This is Salt Creek, Episode 5. The sun was just beginning to hit the sand of Salt Creek Beach, the expanse of white reflecting the sun into the muddy green eyes of Inspector Kathy Lynch making them appear momentarily brilliant. So, what exactly happened to you? She asked, nodding at one of the beat cops, a short, greasy-haired Kurong local named Constable Daniel Moore. Um, ah, he struggled. So, so this man, Roman, Roman Hines, he, he picked the girls up from Adelaide to take them to Melbourne, brought them here, then just kind of turned on them something, he said. Okay, said Kathy, nodding. That's not as clear a story as I was uh, hoping for, but, but thanks. Sorry, I, I, we don't know a lot yet. One of the girls is in custody. She's down at the hospital in town. She's not really talking, just yelling for her friend, yelling out, help Lana, the constable responded. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, said Kathy. Inhaling deeply, Kathy looked around, ready to get to work. She'd just pulled her car into the sandy track that disappeared into the dunes, stopping in front of what looked like the primary crime scene. The hardened sand in front of her was covered in tyre tracks and skid marks, patterns that bordered a rapidly browning blood stain. She lifted her phone to her lips, microphone app running. Bloodstain, about 80 centimetres in diameter, almost dry, signifying a large amount of blood loss. Tire tracks, larger car, likely a four-wheel drive. Evidence of an individual being injured, struck down by a vehicle, perhaps. She walked further along the track, guided along by a line of police tape and the crew of forensic analysts huddled around the dunes, taking photos and gathering up pieces of litter to be bagged as potential evidence. It didn't take long to reach, and as soon as she did, Kathy felt her heart drop. The little hope she had for discovering Lana was evaporating. The campsite was dishevelled, with overturned chairs and a camp cooktop thrown into the dunes. A pan of pasta was on its side, leaking out a red sauce, and to one side, where a car had been parked, blood was spattered across the sand. Kathy recited as much into her phone as she walked the perimeter of the site. Evidence of struggle may be the primary crime scene. She trailed off as she walked around the first of the larger dunes that bordered the site. Larger footsteps track around the dune to the left, leading towards car and smaller blood spatters. Footsteps lead to the site. Smaller footsteps too. Likely attack site. She walked over to where a pair of black bikini bottoms lay, half buried in the sand. She waved over a forensic officer, 
who promptly shot an image before procuring a pair of gloves from him and examining them. She noticed the cut marks on the sides. Bathe bottoms had been located to the south of the campsite, beach side. Bathers had been sliced up the sides with a cutting tool. Torn quality of fabric indicates knife, rather than scissors. She let them unfurl in her gloved hand. The balled up and sand-crusted condition of the bathers indicates dampness, a possible gag. Kathy continued on, following two pairs of footprints that wove across the surface of the dunes, contemplating what exactly went on here, and how nice it would be if, for once, she was sent to work with people who actually knew what they were doing. The footprints ended and she saw another piece of black fabric on the ground. Two black triangles of a bikini top, spread so she didn't have to call over another crime scene tech. She tilted the phone back to her mouth. Bikini top. Black. Matching set with the bottoms, located about 700 metres from campsite. Ties slice through between breastplates and around the neck. She clicked off her phone and slid it back into her pocket. She rubbed her neck. A sore spot. What the fuck happened here? She mumbled to no one in particular. Arriving back at the campsite, Kathy encountered the silhouette of a giant. The man was tall, a minimum of seven foot, and had the breadth to match his height. Ugh, another no-brain, brick shithouse inspector, Kathy thought. She'd encountered many giant dummy inspectors throughout her career. He quickly turned as he heard her feet crunching in the sand. He was handsome, Kathy noticed, with thick, kind of curly brown hair and hazel eyes. He had the type of lashes that made women jealous, thick and long. His mouth stretched into a smile, exposing a straight row of dazzling white teeth, and he stretched out one enormous hand as her as she approached. Hi, Inspector Lynch, I assume? I'm Inspector Corey Graham. Nice to meet you. His voice was deep, heavy, like those voice distorters used to hide people's identities. Yes, uh, that's correct. Nice to meet you too, Inspector, replied Kathy. Corey gave her a quick nod and a smile before she continued. Have we got an official story of what happened here? One of the constables filled me in on a very broad outline, but there's a lot of ground to cover and I'm not making a lot of sense of what I've found so far. The other inspector nodded before reciting a brief version of the story, as recited from the surviving victim, who Kathy learned was named Eliz. No clue of what happened to the other one? The perp as well? Asked Kathy. No, nothing. We did a helicopter search earlier today, and have had the dogs out here looking for her too. We tried to find the tracks from the car. Aside from those on the tracks leading in, we've... we've found nothing. Kathy nodded. Any theories? She asked. Sounds like he'd hit her fairly hard when the other one, Liz, took off. Do you think he picked her body up and drove her somewhere else to dispose of it? She asked. Not sure. It's hard to say. I think... If he'd driven back up the road to go somewhere else, to dump her, it's likely he would have found a Liz. The other camping site where she found help is about three kilometres up the road. There's not a lot of cover there, so it's likely he would have spotted her, even a kilometre away, 
he said. Kathy nodded again, trying to make sense of the information she'd just received. Those poor girls, she thought, must have had the struggle of their lives. She thanked the inspector and continued walking around, pondering the scene and what had happened to the other one, what had happened to Lana. She walked down to the water's edge and stared at the waves lapping at the sand. Just up from where she was standing was a seagull, digging in the sand for worms. Each time a wave surged at the bird, it would fly up above the surface of the bubbling water. All evidence of its foraging rinsed away in the surf. It hit her. He'd driven down the beach. The high tide overnight had washed the tracks away. She looked down the beach. To one side there was nothing but more sand that bent around out of sight with the coastline. To the other was a red rocky outcrop that developed into cliffs. Kathy scrunched her mouth, contemplated the likelihood that they had driven that way, then began rushing back to the main crime scene. Arriving there, out of breath, she called out for Corey. He was bent over a dune with one of the forensic technicians, sifting broken glass out of the sand. He stood bolt upright. I, I, I. Kathy paused for a moment, catching her breath. I've got a hunch he drove down to the beach. I tied washer tracks away. There's a rocky outcrop, cliffs. I wanted to check it out, just up the beach. He nodded. What do you think is the likelihood that they'd be there? Well, she began. Helicopters found nothing, so it means he has to be hiding himself, her and the car, somewhere right. Are there any other places along this coastline where the beach links up with the road? She asked. Nope. Just here in the camping grounds up the road, the forensic technician interjected. Okay, well, then let's have a look, said Kathy. Corey nodded. I've got a four-wheel drive. The beach is the easiest way to approach a cliff. Otherwise, we have to walk kilometres on foot through the dunes, offered the technician, a Salt Creek local whose name tag read Darcy. The trio drove up the beach in silence the ridges in the sand bumping them about in their seats. As the car approached the cliffs, Kathy took in the landscape around her, looking for any evidence that the missing pair had been there. A flash of purple in the sand jumped out at her. Stop, she commanded, banging on the back of Darcy's seat to get his attention. The car skidded in the sand before coming to a stop, and Kathy pushed open the door and ran out onto the sand, stumbling back towards the dunes. Corey got out of the car also and began to follow Kathy with great loping strides. As he approached her, he saw she was standing over something. Something purple and brown and... a blanket perhaps? He looked back over his shoulder and made eye contact with Darcy before making a signal with his hands for a camera. Kathy heard Corey approach from behind and uttered, It's a blanket. A mat maybe. I think. I think it's caked with blood. Behind the pair, Darcy quickly approached, his camera in one hand and some crime scene tape in the other. He got to work right away, snapping photos and establishing a perimeter. While Corey chatted with Darcy about what they had found, Kathy began wandering towards the cliffs.
The red rock cliffs were steep and harsh, its sharp face cutting from the ocean to the skies that curved around the edge of the peninsula. Standing in its shadow, Kathy shivered and considered how she might make it up and around the face, and what she might find. The mat, or blanket, whatever it was she had found felt like a step in the right direction, a nod towards her intuition. Of course, she also had her worries. How could anyone hide a four-wheel drive here, she thought. There was no conceivable way Roman could have made it past the cliffs, even during low tide. So where is that fucking car, Kathy thought. She walked to the cliff face and placed her hand on the cool, rough surface. Part of her wanted to press her face onto it, to get a little relief from the burning sun. Instead, trailing her hand along the stone, she began walking towards where the rocks met the water, scrambling up rocks where she could until she came to a low, slippery platform just above the water's edge. The surface of the platform teemed with black barnacles and tucked away sea urchins, and for one moment she stared at them with the bewilderment of a child. Above her were more platforms and ledges, each making their way up the cliff face. She began to climb. Be careful up there, called Corey from below, startling Kathy. I'd hate for you to get injured. I'll be fine, Kathy said, narrowing her eyes and forcing a grimace. Just don't distract me. I'll come with, said Corey, hoisting himself up and onto the ledge with a grunt. She continued on with Corey in tow, climbing each platform and ledge. As the pair got higher, they got hotter, the full sun bearing down onto their faces and necks. About halfway up, as soon as they encountered a dry ledge, Corey peeled off his suit jacket and began folding up the sleeves of his white shirt. He was covered in sweat, with dark rings around his neck and under his arms. Kathy caught herself staring. Corey caught her staring. He gave her a quick smile and she looked away as he finished securing his sleeves. They were about halfway up the cliff face now, on a ledge about a metre wide and three metres long. The ground was covered in smatterings of white gold droppings and dry seaweed. She turned back to Corey, who had just placed a stone atop his suit jacket. Do you think there's much more up there? she asked. Not sure, replied Corey, making his way over to her. His eyes were on the ground, staring at something between her feet. Hey, um, could you, could you look at that? He said, pointing. Kathy looked down. It was the seaweed. It was damp. How could it be damp when everything else is dry? She wondered, bending down to pick it up with her fingers. It was slick. Warm from the sun, and as she stood up again, it slipped between her fingers and hit the rocky ledge with a slap. She looked at her hands. They were red. Bloody. Kathy let out a little squeak as the realisation washed over her. She stared back at Corey, eyes wide, her hands held out in front of her as if they were no longer hers. Oh shit, he said. We're probably getting close. No shit, dickhead, said Kathy. What the fuck should I do with my hands? Corey shook his head. Out of reasonable options and not wanting to go back, Kathy wiped the blood on her skirt 
and gestured to Corey to come over to where she stood. Give me a boost, she requested. He did, creating a catapult by intertwining his large fingers and squatting down. Kathy stood on his hands and he slowly pushed her up to the next level until she managed to get her waist over the edge. She pulled herself forwards. This ledge was smaller, thinner, and she stood as close to the cool rock as she could. A few metres to her left was a crack in the rock face. She turned and got to her knees before poking her head over the edge. I don't know if I can get up on my own, Corey called out to her. It's a bit high. Do you think you could give me a hand? Okay, Kathy replied. Just come over here. She positioned herself in front of the crack and laying down, placed her legs on either side as a brace. With some effort and grunting, she managed to help Corey hoist himself up to a point where he could use his own strength. Fuck. It is a lot thinner up here than the other ones, he said. You don't have a torch by any chance, Kathy asked, nodding towards the opening. He shook his head. Kathy surveyed the crack in the rock face. It was about 50 centimetres wide and stretched up almost to the peak of the cliff. Nowhere else to go but in, Corey said, his cheeks rosy and eyes bright with excitement. To be continued. Thanks for listening. For more stories, visit www.thepublicbook.com or you can follow me on Twitter if you want. My handle is at DRopeKeyAuthor. Bye.